Well, I'm realizing that the microphone is on, so we don't need to do that, do we? But I do want to invite you to open the Word of God with me today to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to focus our attention primarily, well, actually solely, on verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, to the best of my recollection, that's somewhere in the New Testament. Would you uh, pray with me one more time this morning as we think about our pastor who is away and for a time of respite and, and rest. And then for our brother Braxton, who is, Braxton, who is actually preaching in Sonora, uh, today as well. Our Heavenly Father, we, we have come to that time in this service where we have worshipped you, entered into your presence, and now we're going to reflect upon your word, Father. And Father, these are your children. These are your sheep that is the sheep of your pasture. And you know each one by name. And Father God, they hear your voice. I pray today, truly, that your word would speak to each and every one of us because none of us are able to reasonably or by reason alone discern the truth of your word. And we are dependent upon you not only in the speaking of your word, but in the hearing of your word and your Holy Spirit to illuminate it to our life. Therefore, we bow before you, Father, acknowledging our dependence upon you with an immense gratitude in our life and in our hearts to know that we are speaking to the true and the living God and that you are speaking to us. Thank you, Father. We do thank you for our pastor, his faithfulness. We thank you for his commitment that is demonstrated each and every Sunday here in this pulpit as he ministers in this community. And we thank you for his family and we pray that they would be enveloped in your presence, that you would protect them, that you would grant them rest and peace. And Father, that you would be in attendance with them as they're away from us. And Father, we pray for our brother Braxton, who is opening your word, who is ministering according to your spirit today. And he too is dependent upon you, just as those who would hear him are. So Father, we pray that your name would be glorified and you would be honored and your people would be strengthened as we reflect upon your word today. In your name I pray, amen. amen. It is a joy to be able to come to this place each and every week to draw aside from our normal engagements and our life out there in the midst of our culture in a world of which we are in, but we are not a part of, 
It's a joy to come in here and to just draw aside from all of those concerns and just celebrate the goodness and the glory of our Heavenly Father and the magnificent privilege that is ours to be called His children and to worship Him in truth and spirit. As we do so, we should be strengthened in our spirit and in that inner person in order that we might leave this place as we depart today, go out, back out into the world, re-engage that culture in which we live, and as we re-engage that culture, to face the challenges that it presents us uh, each and every day of our lives. That is especially true, it seems like, in our day and time, because we understand that our culture seems to be characterized by a great deal of confusion, that deception seems to be on the rise, that hostility and hatred seems to be the character or the, the mark of our culture today apart from Christ. And that challenges you and it challenges me to live faithfully to the glory of our Lord. We understand some of the difficulties in our culture. We know that in our culture today we are especially challenged there are people who have given themselves to a new world order, if you would, and when it was spoken of in this previous G7 meeting, it wasn't the slip of a tongue, but it was the revelation of an agenda that has been a very real part of our world for some time. People like Ryan, uh, Wilhelm Reck, people like Antonio Garmus, Garci, and then those that would be Marcus Helmut Marcus are all members of what is called the Frankfurt School of Philosophy. And in this school of philosophy, there have been people who have come together trying to form a neo-Marxism in order to remake the world. And their philosophies and their teachings have permeated our institutions of higher learning and through their influence in those institutions of higher learning, as well as in the progressive political systems that we are encountering every day of our life, they are seeking to undermine the institutions of our culture and our society, and they are hostile towards Christianity. Now, it's a plan that's been in place for some time, and certainly we experience it every day of our lives. We're challenged by it, and all too often we are threatened by it. It is a difficult moment in our history. I pull these notes up here because I want to, uh, to ignore all these notes that I write. <laughs> okay. But when we look at our culture, we look across the landscape and we see the onslaught of the satanic forces that would want to undermine Christianity, that would want to compromise our life, that challenge us to live faithfully in the glory of Christ every day. We understand that they are defeated. We understand that they are going to fail. We do not need to fear them, for they will come to a destruction. Listen to what John Owens writes as he seeks to help you and me answer the question that is very prevalent in our life. You and I have the need 
to answer this question for ourselves each and every day. How is it, in the midst of all of this that we are experiencing in this world, that I am to live faithful to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? Where did I put my water? John Owen helps us answer that question when he writes these words. In short, all the rage, blood, confusion, the desolation, the cruelties, the oppressions, and disasters which fill this world to this day by which the souls of men have been swept into eternal destruction have all arisen from the ignorance of God. His response... So if we desire strong faith and powerful love, which give us peace and satisfaction, we must seek them diligently, beholding the glory of God by faith. We turn to the book of Hebrews today because the author of the book of Hebrews is writing a letter seeking to encourage believers in equipping them and strengthening them to live faithfully to the glory of Christ in the midst of a very difficult situation in their life. They seem to have been of the Jewish heritage and in all probability were, were experiencing oppression, were experiencing uh, the challenges and the, the assault and the hostility that is so uh, evident in the life and across the history of all Christianity and especially in our lives today. And he begins this letter to the Hebrews and he magnifies the glory of God in these first four verses. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would and allow me to just simply read. I'm going to read the entire chapter, but we're going to focus primarily on those first four verses. Long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power and by making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the, and after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more, excellent, is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says... Let all angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sons, he said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, 
and the heavens are the work of your hands, they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And there, and they, <clears throat> are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Amen. Please be seated. As we look at this particular passage of Scripture, and we remind ourselves that the author of the book of Hebrews is seeking to encourage these believers to faithfully live and to faithfully live in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins this letter in these first four verses by manifesting that glory or delineating that glory for us. And in the very first verse, he begins by saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, if you happen to be reading the New American Standard Version of your Bible, you will see that that verse begins with one word. It begins with the word God. And when he uses that word God, he immediately grabs our imagination, he captures our thoughts, and he brings them all the way back to the pre-existence of the world itself. Before creation, ever, before the earth ever existed, there was God. Now there are many arguments for the existence of God, but I think one of the most profound ones uh, was pronounced or was uh, developed and written and presented by Bishop Anselm, 1225, as he, said, as he presented the ontological argument for the existence of God. And here's what he says about God. He said, God is that one beyond which no one greater could ever be imagined. Now that's quite a description of our Heavenly Father, isn't it? But the Word of God affirms for us, beginning in chapter 1 of Genesis, that he existed before the very foundations of this world, and in fact, we know that he spoke creation into being. So when the author to the book of Hebrews begins with this word, and he says, and he uses a word that says he has spoke to us in an era preceding that pre uh, present day, that he has spoke in many ways at, at many times, we have to review for just a few moments, if we would, this God who is beyond which, is that one who is beyond which we can think of none greater, and what his activity, and hear how he has spoken to his creation. Just for a moment, we think of how he actually spoke through the very act of creation itself. He spoke it into being. And as he spoke it into being, he declared it to be good. And if we hear the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, he says to us that he continues to speak through his creation and his nature, that all of creation bears witness to this God who is preexistent and transcendent over all of creation. And so we think about 
the author of the book of Hebrews seeking to bring encouragement to the life of these people when he begins by simply using this word God he has already spoken something that is beyond our ability to fully comprehend but when we embrace it by faith and we know by the Spirit of God and God grants us the grace to understand and know it then we are thoroughly profoundly touched in the very center of our being and encouraged to continue to be faithful to this God. But let's think about how this God has spoken. He spoke to Adam and Eve. And as he spoke to Adam and Eve, he revealed the consequences of a rebellious spirit and heart towards himself and how sin and that corruption has entered into the world. But he did one other thing when he spoke to Adam and Eve as well. He laid out a plan and he identified the fact that he, Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, has a redemptive plan for this world. And he is going to uh, not only speak that plan, reveal that plan, but he is going to accomplish that plan in and through our creation. Amen. We are encouraged when we see, look out across the landscape of our reality and we see the uh, forces that seem to want to stand against us, that seem to want to challenge us, that seem to want to undermine our ability. And we understand that the God who created heaven and earth is the God who has established his plan and is going to fulfill his plan forevermore. Amen. My mouth continues to get dry. Are you guys scary or what, you know? But more than that, more than that, we not only see him speaking to Adam and Eve, we speak to, uh, about the consequences and the offense of sin to himself and who and what he is. But he speaks through Cain and Abel. And he reveals to us the consequences of a rebellious heart towards God in every relationship that we would have. And then <clears throat> he moves beyond that and we think about him speaking even as we read today in, in Genesis chapter 7 and in chapter 8 and 9, he speaks to Noah. And as he speaks to Noah, he actually uh, reveals how desperately um, offensive sin is to him. It is a stench in his nostrils so much so that he cannot tolerate it, that he would wipe it out, and then once again in his manifestation of his judgment upon sin in this world, we find him saying, I'm destroying this world. But he also gives us a statement of hope because of the consistency he, he works with his plan that he has established since the foundation of the world. He said, I'm putting a bow in the sky in order to bear testimony to the fact that I never again will destroy my creation in this way. But then he speaks to Abraham and he calls Abram, Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees and he begins to speak in a covenant relationship with Abraham and he said, from you I am going to create a mighty nation. And then he says these words, and from your seed. And we understand from the writings of the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 that it was this Jesus Christ that is the seed of Abraham that it was spoken of when God spoke to Abraham that day. 
But he still created that people called Israel out of the loins of Abraham and, they, and, he, and his people as he created them. They went down into the bondage of Egypt and then he appears to Moses at the burning bush and he begins to speak to Moses at the burning bush and guess what he says? He says, first of all, I'm sovereign for I have heard, I've heard of the persecutions of my people. Second of all, he identified them as his people. And third of all, he revealed himself in all of his glory as the redeeming God of his creation. And he said, so I am going to deliver them, you go. And so Moses, standing on holy ground, heard this voice of Almighty God, this pre-existent uh, creator of all that there is, the one beyond which we cannot imagine anyone greater being, speaking to Moses, saying, I'm going to accomplish this. We read in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we hear of the apostle of um, God once again speaking to King David, and he says to D King David, he enters into that covenant relationship, and he says, I am setting one on your throne, and he is going to reign on your throne forever and ever and ever. And so then we look at the prophets and we see that he confronts his people Israel in their sinfulness as they departed from or drifted away from God at times. And he says to them through the prophet Isaiah, I am going to raise one up, one from the root of Jesse. There is going to be that one who comes who is going to establish his government and he is going to pay the penalty for all of the sin and I am going to redeem my people. Then we hear Jeremiah say to the people of Israel, there's a day coming, though you have departed from me, and I chastise you, and you are going to go out into, in, into captivity. I'm going to bring you back. But there's a day coming when there's a new covenant. I am going to replace your stony heart, and I'm going to give you a new heart, and you're going to know me, and you're going to relate to me and praise me out of your very inner being because there's going to be that ultimate change of regeneration in your heart. And he says the same thing to the prophet Ezekiel. And then he speaks to, the, through, to us through the other prophets. So when we think about what the author of this book of Hebrews is saying, he is calling the people of God, those who would be faithful followers of Christ, in the midst of all the persecution, the hostility, and the difficulty and challenges that they face, he is calling them to lift their eyes, focus their hearts and their minds on who this heavenly God who our Heavenly Father is, this God who has pre-existed, the one beyond which no one greater can ever be imagined. This one is the one that you are worshiping. This is the one who has redeemed you. This is the one who is going to keep you. And you are going to see the glory of, of God manifested in your life. So we see the glory of God manifested simply in his creation. Then we look at, at uh, chapter or verse 2 and we find but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom all also he created the world. Think with me a moment if you would. Almighty God sent his only begotten son 
to dwell on the face of this earth, to communicate the vastness of his glory, the unimaginable greatness and grandeur of his nature. He has communicated himself to us through the sending of his Son in these last days. I don't know about you, but I know about me. When I stop and reflect upon that, there is no response that can come to my life except one of immense gratitude and humility before God. Well, how has he spoken? Well, perhaps you'll remember John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord, pointing him out as the Lamb of God. Perhaps you'll remember with me that it was God who spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Perhaps you will remember with me that uh, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, facing the very onslaught of Satan directly himself, but never sinning and always overcoming by the Word of God. Perhaps even as we read about today in Luke chapter 8, we'll recall our Lord and Savior, this one who is the embodiment of God, sitting at a well with a lady that is despised by everyone around her and manifesting his confession. Perhaps we'll accompany the disciples on, and during the uh, storm on, at the sea and him just speaking a word and calming the waters. Perhaps we'll remember the power of God over the evil that is so prevalent in our world as he says to the legion of demons, be gone. Perhaps we will remember the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he clearly speaks to us saying that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He that believeth in me well, he will have eternal life. And perhaps we'll remember him saying that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And please hear this word. And myself and the Father will come and make our abode with you. Ponder that just for a moment. This God who is the God of creation, this God who has spoken in so many ways at so many different times to manifest his glory in all of his majesty will come and make his abode with you. Amen. That's beyond my mind to comprehend. But it is the promise of my Lord to be experienced. But I want to move rapidly because he continued to say to us and manifest the glory of God as he went to the cross. I'm going to jump quickly to verse 3. For here we see 
the author of the book of Hebrews, reminding us as followers of Christ in the midst of anything that we might be facing in this world of who it is that we are worshiping, who is it that we are related to. Here is what he says. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. When we talk about the radiance of the glory of God, yes, we, that, the, the portraits that we see and the, the radiance of, that, that we try to capture in all the artistic and aesthetic ways in this world, even as we stand and watch the sunsets or we stand atop some of the greatest mountains in this world or, or see the richest valleys, we all want, we see this majesty of God, but the radiance of Almighty God is manifested in his very nature and who and what he is. And listen to what the author says. He is, Jesus is, the very expressed nature. He is the imprint. And he's referring to that seal. He's referring to that imprint that is on the ring of, um, of, a, of a nobleman who would, who would have his family seal, that he would seal anything with. And if it was sealed with that family uh, imprint, then he would be forever and evermore uh, an edict of that, and he would stand behind that, that word. When you look at what he is saying here, is that Jesus is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. My friends, if we want to understand the nature of God, all we have to do is look at Jesus. All we have to do is experience what he has experienced. All we need to do is hear what he has taught. And all we need to do is see the compassionate, forgiving grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father. But we would never need to see that. We could not see that if we did not understand the gravity the offensiveness of our own sinfulness towards our Heavenly Father. And when we think of the condemnation which we deserve, and then we see this magnificent mercy and this compassion of our Heavenly Father in the sending of His Son, that He might pay the penalty for our sin, then we are seeing the very nature and heart of Almighty God. Holy and just, we can never cheapen that. And we must bow before that in the conviction of our sin. But as we look to him and call upon him, there is mercy and compassion by which we will be embraced. He is the imprint of Almighty God. I do want to mention just very quickly that he is the one who holds the universe. I would like for you to just, for a moment, for a moment, listen to this description of our universe. Until the invention of the telescope in the early 17th century, only a few thousand stars were visible to the unaided eye. 
and the universe appeared for, uh, far less impressive than we know it is to, to be. Even till the second decade of the 20th century, it was thought that the Milky Way galaxy was synonymous with the universe. This alone would be awesome in its scope since our spiral galaxy contains more than 200 trillion stars and extends to a diameter of 100,000 light years. A light year being 186,000, or a light year being, uh, yeah, miles per second. But more recent developments between the sun and the earth <clears throat> in astronomy has revealed our galaxy is a member of the local cluster of about 20 galaxies, and that this, this local cluster is but one member of a massive supercluster of thousands of galaxies. So many of these superclusters are known to exist that the number of our galaxies is estimated at more than 100 trillion galaxies. And we hear the word. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That strains our ability to comprehend the majesty, the glory of our Lord and our Savior. For he who upholds the universe says to you and me, I will never leave you nor will ever forsake you. So we look out across the landscape, and we see the hostilities, we see the threats, we see the challenges to who we are individually as believers that challenge us in our ability to live to faithfully to the glory of our Lord and Savior and in his glory every day of our lives. We look at the onslaught against Christianity, and it seems like we might want to, and we might be tempted to despair, and it would seem like they are so mighty. But when we stop to contemplate the glory of Almighty God, in which we are participating and living in His eternal plan, my friends, they pale in comparison and look as if they were a gnat upon the window seal and nothing else. And then finally, I want to call our attention to verse 3 as he says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's no way for us to fully comprehend that statement without just looking very briefly, if you would, at uh, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. John 17, 1 through 4 passages that we are very familiar with. Listen to what the Apostle John writes as he records our Lord speaking to the Father in his final prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. 
And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Think with me just very quickly and indulge me these moments. As we read this passage of scripture, we come to verse 3, which is kind of a parenthesis in all that Jesus is saying to the Father. As he says, the hour has come that he would be glorified. And he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, and you have sent. Now, I'm going to very quickly um, help us understand the immensity of that statement. There are two words in the New Testament that are used to refer to knowing and knowledge. Both of them are equally important, and oftentimes they are interchanged. One of them is pronounced oida, the other one is pronounced epigonosco. The oida is that revealed truth that, that we know and we understand as our minds are being renewed in Christ Jesus. But as a result of that renewal of our mind, the relationship that we have with our Lord and Savior and, and, our, and God himself continues to grow as we're sanctified in him. And the word that is used for that personal relationship, that personal knowing, is this word epigonosco that is used right here. And what Jesus says to us is that eternal life is our relational knowing of our Heavenly Father, Almighty God. Now the reason I point that out to you is because all that we have said to this point all that the author of the book of Hebrews has said in the manifestation and description of God's glory focuses right there on, on this thing that we call salvation. Therefore, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, he says, how much more should we pay to this salvation that he has given unto us? This is the privilege of all privileges. This is an honor that can never be depreciated and must be understood by those who would want to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is that you have been invited into, and yes, may I say, God's glory, power, and strength has been focused on every person who has ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way to where he has brought them to a regeneration, to where he has brought them to a, a, a repentance, to where he has brought them to a faith, and, he is, and they have been converted as they commit their life to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Almighty God so wants you to know him and you and know, and he and know that you that he knows you that he has focused all of that power on you but look at what he says in verse 4 i have glorified the uh, you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory i had before the world ever existed. Did you catch it? 
Did you hear it? The Son of Glory said, I have glorified you by completing the redemptive work that you have given to me. Our Lord and Savior went sinless to a cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. And by the virtue of his shed blood, we know forgiveness of our sin. But in his righteousness, and God's imputing that righteousness unto us, we now are accepted now and forever in the very presence of Almighty God. And it is secured for us because after he completed and after he made propitiation for our sin, he sat down at the right hand of glory forever and ever and ever. We'll leave this place today as we have so often before. We will go back out into a culture that will challenge us. We will go back out into a culture that would seek to undermine us. We would experience and understand, we would hear about, learn of, and in some lesser or greater degree, be challenged by the intentional desire for people to create a new world order that is managed by the adversary, not by God. But yet we know that they will fail. But how will we do that? And here's the answer to the question. We must live with a daily recognition, an absolute confident understanding of the glory of our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior that we might be strengthened continually for this is true. Listen to the final words of John Owen. He's laying on his deathbed. His friends were desperately trying to complete some of his writings before he perished. And they finally did and shortly before his death, they came to his bedside and they said, Brother John, we've completed the work. Here is his response. I'm glad to hear it. But oh, Brother Payne, the longed wish for day is come at last, in which I will see the glory in another manner than I have ever done before or am capable of, capable of in this world. As we come to an end of our reflection on this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would reflect on the truth of the Word 
not necessarily the presentation of it, but the truth of the word. And ask yourself these questions. Have I experienced a real and true encounter with the glory of the God beyond who is the one beyond whom no one can imagine, the God of creation, who has spoken and exercised the fulfillment of his plan through the ages. Have I met him in the humility of heart as I behold the glory of the Lord and his redemptive power on the cross? That's not a question that could be answered except between each of us and our Lord. And if I have, if I have, how has it established the priorities of my life today? How does it inform every decision I make as I depart this place? and live my life as his child in this world today? Those are the only two questions we need to ask as we look forward to that day when we will behold his glory in a way that we have never done before nor are capable of this side of glory. Pray with me if you would. Father God, thank you for this word. And I just pray that your word, Father, which is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, would penetrate our lives that we might understand the unspeakable privilege of being called a child of God, of knowing you, Lord, who are the creator and the sustainer, as well as the redeemer of not only our life, but the life of all who believe and your creation. Bless these, your children, Father, as we contemplate your glory and how we live in it. In the name of Jesus.